sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first My name is Hal Brady, and last week I said to you that for the last eight years we had been doing this ministry from St. Luke United Methodist Church in Columbus, Georgia. But since I'm now living in Atlanta, we'll be doing it from the television studio. So I want to welcome you again to join me each and every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. And I would remind you to invite your friends. It is my prayer that this will be a blessing. Now would you please hear the reading of God's word. It comes from Judges chapter 7. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Murray in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. 
lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. And Gideon tested them. Twenty-two thousand returned, and ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. He of whom I say to you, This man shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, This man shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone that laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone that kneels down to drink. And the number of those that lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will deliver you, and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So he took the jars of the people from their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for a brief word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. John Gardner rightly says in his book, Self-Renewal, No society is likely to renew itself unless its dominant orientation is to the future. Beloved, I think that's also true for churches and individuals as well. The dominant orientation must be to the future. Now this in no way minimizes the importance of the past. A certain wife suddenly had the urge to live in the past. She said to her husband, he used to hold my hand, so he reached out and grabbed her hand. He used to kiss me, so he leaned over and kissed her. She said, you used to bite me on the back of my neck. At this, he got up and started out of the room. Where are you going, she asked. To get my teeth was a reply. As I said, this in no way minimizes the importance of the past. But it's right here that this story of Gideon speaks to us best. Because of Israel's wickedness, God allowed the Midianites to prevail over and rule the Israelites for seven long years. Earnestly, the people cried out to God for a deliverer. Finally, God chose a young man by the name of Gideon. Soon under God's direction, Gideon sent word out for volunteers. We're told that 22,000 volunteers immediately responded and offered their services. Then God said a strange thing. He said, too many, Gideon, reduced the number of volunteers. And so in complete obedience, the reduction was done and there were 10,000 volunteers left. Then God looked at the 10,000 and said, still too many, Gideon, reduced the number of volunteers. And so there were 300 volunteers left. Now, admittedly, this is a strange story, a strange story indeed. But it has a wonderful message for us as we go through these uncertain days and times through which we are living. First of all, it says, place your confidence in God. I can almost hear God saying to Gideon, wait a minute, Gideon, wait a minute. That army of yours is only one thing wrong with it. It's far too big. And I can imagine Gideon's initial astonishment, too big. What do you mean too big? I was just thinking how great it'd be to have another battalion or two. But God had his reason for wanting Gideon to reduce his army. He says this in the word, Reduce it, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. In other words, the Israelites' confidence was not to be in themselves or in numbers or in equipment. Their confidence was to be in God. Their army had to be so small that unless God gave them the victory, they would absolutely know defeat. A well-known minister was having a conference with some of his associates. 
They were sitting around a rather long table, and the associates said, what do you think about the political situation in America today? What do you think about the rumors of war? What do you think about the rising crime and all of that? The minister said he thought long and hard before he answered. He said, I'm very much concerned about the things you're talking about, but I'm not remotely concerned enough about them to let them get on top of me. He said, you see, these things are not constant. These things are not constant at all. While God is constant, God is steadfast. God is in the now. Over and over, this Bible teaches us to place our confidence in God. In the Old Testament, there's a rancher by the name of Abraham. Abraham was a man who believed God. Whatever God told him, he trusted. So God said, all right, Abraham, pull up your stakes and move out to a country that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. We're told that Abraham trusted God, and sure enough, the promise came true. A little further over in the Bible, we'll read about another fellow, a fellow by the name of Moses. God said about the same thing to Moses, he said to Abraham, except he said, I want you to take a whole nation of slaves with you. We're told that Moses had an inner tussle. He did not have confidence in himself. But finally, when he regained confidence in God, he regained his confidence in himself, and he moved out and became a mighty deliverer. There's one more character I'd like to talk with you about for a minute, a little New Testament character. He's in several situations over which he has no control. First of all, his outward direction is toward Rome. There he knows he's going to go on trial for his life, and he'll never get back. Secondly, he's got to sail out into the ocean at the wrong season of the year. He plainly protested against this season. They sailed anyway. The third situation was they found themselves out in the middle of a storm. Things are so bad, they had to throw the cargo overboard. Three days later, they had to throw the tackling of the ship overboard. There was no sun by day, no stars by night. Everybody was depressed. It was dark. Everybody had lost hope, except for one little former murderer of Christians, but now a witness for Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul. He said, Be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any person's life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve. One man had confidence. The secret of his confidence was he knew that God was with him. He knew that God was his source. A minister was talking to a Christian businessman whose business was going from bad to worse. One upset was quickly followed by another. The minister said, how long since you've talked to somebody about God? The man said, months. With all these problems, I don't have time. The minister suggested that he put renewed focus on God and trust him. And the last thing the minister said was, it made all the difference for him. So here's a question for you. What are we really looking to to get us through these precarious days and years through which we're passing? The scripture says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So place your confidence in God. Secondly, this little story tells us to step forward in courage. The 32,000 volunteers were cut down by two simple tests. One of those tests was fear. Gideon said, whoever's fearful and trembling, let him return home. We're told that 22,000 fell out that day because they were afraid. 22,000 cowards and quitters. You know, one of life's continuing temptations is the temptation to quit. Here are two high school boys. They're talking about their grades in school. One of them says, oh, my grades, they're not too good, but I'm not going to worry about them now because I'm just going to transfer it to another school next year. Reckon that'll help? I doubt it. Here's a young couple starting on a high and holy road of matrimony. They're going to have something that nobody else has ever had on earth or sea. 
And yet the statistics tell a sad story of how many of these competent beginnings end up in divorce courts. You know, in marriage, there comes a time when there are a hundred reasons to quit against one reason to persevere. I like to ask young people what they're going to be when they grow up. Ask a little 10-year-old boy, what are you going to be when you grow up? He'll have a beautiful expression come out on his face. and He'll talk about some wonderful job or profession. But yet in my ministry, I've seen so many people who started out on some holy road and then suddenly lost their way. And those of us who have any age on us would not dare criticize people who quit. There are always good reasons. But I want you to listen again to the words of Gideon. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. 22,000 fell out that day because they were cowards and quitters. Now over against this, we see the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Do you know what Paul is saying here is? I didn't quit. But in the same second chapter of Timothy, we hear him say, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. Now Demas evidently had his reasons for quitting. Paul had his reasons for continuing. What was the difference? Paul knew God as his source. One of our bishops said he'd gone to a new area to serve. He said it looked bad. It looked like he was going to be caught up in a thousand different obligations. The sun was bad. It was just smog everywhere. And he said one day a friend called him and said, how's it going? The bishop said, like a fool, I told him everything bad that was going on. After he listened for a while, he said, is there any possibilities for good? Anything that you might do for the Lord there? The bishop said, you make me feel a little better. I'll stay until noon. The bishop said that was the last time he ever complained about his job because he decided, if I can stay until noon, I will before I quit. Dr. Paul Scherer said, all great living begins in some quiet estimate we have of ourselves that will not let us play the cowards role. That is truly important. All great living begins in some quiet estimate we have of ourselves that will not let us play the coward's role. So secondly, step forward in courage. And then thirdly, seek always to be an asset. A man saw a little boy out in the yard. He went over to him and said, son, is your mother home? The little boy said, yes, sir. The man went over and knocked on the door. Nobody came. He went back over to the little boy and said, I thought you said your mother's home. The little boy said, she is home. We don't live here. Now, I don't think that little boy was much of an asset. But how many troops do we have? We have 10,000 left. After the first test of fear, 10,000 are left. But God saw that there were still too many. So he asked Gideon to reduce the number of which he did. Now, the reasons that those thousands are sent home is now clear. God saw that they were not an asset to the cause. They were a liability. They had a damning effect on the whole enterprise. So God just sent them home. He couldn't use them. What is an asset? An asset is somebody who loves, who serves, who gives, who grows, who plants, who encourages. I'm sure you've heard the name Ted Williams. Ted Williams was the last baseball player at about over 400. But when he came down to the end of the season in 1941, Ted Williams and his manager Joe Cronin had to make a decision. The Red Sox were playing the Philadelphia athletics, a doubleheader. In order to protect Ted Williams' 400 batting average, Joe Cronin said, we'll just let you sit out and watch the game today. Ted Williams said, no, if I can't do it on the field, I'm not going to do it in the stands. So he played both games that day at that doubleheader. He went four for six, and he wound up batting 406. 
Uh, would you say that Ted Williams was an asset? I would. Why? Because he sacrificed his personal goals for the good of the team. When I speak about being an asset, I'm talking about us absolutely representing God everywhere we can. In our home, in our school, in our work, in our habits, in our relationships, in every possible way. Besides, this world of ours has too many problems without our being a part of the problem anyway. The poet said, the Lord, he had a job for me, but I had so much to do. I said, you get somebody else or wait till I get through. I don't know how the Lord came about, but he seemed to get along. But I felt kind of sneaking like, because I know that gun God wrong. One day I needed the Lord myself, needed him right away. But down in my accusing heart, I could hear him say, child, I've got too much to do. You get somebody else or wait till I get through. Now when the Lord has a job for me, I never tries to shirk. I drops what I have on hand and does the Lord's good work. And my affairs can run along or wait till I get through. Nobody else can do the work the Lord marks out for you and for you and for you and for me. You know what they say? They say one picture is worth a thousand words. Let me try to show you what I mean by being an asset in this picture. There's Paul and Silas. Do you see them? They're standing there. They're in a jail cell. But they don't sit down and wait till the crisis is over, till they get out of the jail before they start preaching. They start preaching right in the jail cell. And the first thing you know, they turn that jail cell into a revival meeting and they get the Philippian jailer and his family converted. So we say, okay, Paul and Silas, we're tired of you doing this. So we're going to put you way back in the prison where you cannot preach anymore. All they do is reach out for pen and parchment and write the letters of the New Testament. What are we going to do with people like that? We're just going to get out of the way because they're on a mission for God. These people see opportunities where there are problems. They see open windows where there are closed doors. They just keep on doing what God calls them to do. You know, there was a religious editor that visited a lot of churches. And somebody asked him one day, do you see any difference in those churches? He said, yes, and some of them I find love and some of them I don't. Beloved, the churches where there's love these are the assets of the kingdom of God. So let's have a quick review before we go to the last point. First of all, place your confidence in God. Step forward in courage. Seek always to be an asset. And remember, you really can make a difference. How many shrifts do we have left? 300. 300 out of 32,000. Not too many troops, would you say? And yet, if we had read further in Judges, we would have found out that those thousands, those hundreds, plus Gideon and God were a majority. Those 300 won the battle. Now, God's strategy does not depend upon numbers. We count heads, one, two, three, four, five. God counts hearts. We talk about winning the world by producing more disciples. God talks about winning the world by producing better disciples. There was a pageant that was held in the Los Angeles Coliseum which had a unique lighting ceremony that made a big difference on everybody who was listening. The announcer came on and he said, some of you people don't think you're too important because your job is so small. But he said, I want to tell you, you're wrong. And he had every light in the place cut out in the Los Angeles Coliseum. It went total darkness. He struck a single match. And then he said, you see, everybody is important. And then he asked these people to strike their, their matches or to flip on their lighters, and then instantly there was a gasp as it was total illumination everywhere. I saw this in the Orange Bowl one year. 
when we went in, they gave us flashlights. They said at the halftime, the lights are going to go dim. We simply want you to turn your lights on when we give you the signal. And so at halftime, all the lights went out, and we simply cut on our flashlights at the signal, and suddenly there was instant illumination everywhere. Jesus said, let your light so shine before humankind that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm sure you've heard the name Robert Shuler. Robert Shuler's daughter Carol, years ago when she was 13, she was in a horrible traffic accident. She almost lost her life. She did, in fact, lose her leg. Robert Shuler said, I was standing there looking at my daughter who was dressed in a softball uniform standing at home plate. And I said to her, how do you expect to play ball when you can't even run? She said to me, people who hit home runs don't have to run. That's true. There's something gospel about that. Let your light so shine before humankind that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Years ago when I was pastor at Clayton, my father-in-law came up to go fishing on the wild Chatuga River. He and a friend went out on that river and they were supposed to be back at 7 o'clock. They were not back at 7, 8, or 9. Finally, we got word, so we called the law enforcement agencies out of Raven County, and they all came on the Chatuga River and started looking for my father-in-law. About midnight, we found him. He came walking up and said he had walked generally in the direction of North Carolina. In fact, he had walked 15 miles. He said it was just so dark out there that he passed the road where his car was parked. And so he continued walking toward North Carolina. But then he said something that I have never forgotten. He said, you know, if only I'd had a little light. That's the world's challenge to the Christian community today. If only I had a little light. Place your confidence in God. Step forward in courage. Seek always to be an asset. And remember, you really can make a difference. Join me, please, for prayer. Oh God, how thankful we are for these moments together. We're thankful for our musician and for the accompaniment. We are grateful, oh God, for the people who are with us, watching from their homes, wherever. Bless them all and make them a blessing. It's in your name. Amen. If you have a prayer request, please let us know and we'll be glad to include you. Thank you for watching.
the simplest of all love songs I want to bring to you. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. And I'll I'll stay.